want to thank God for how we started our series last week, our series on Prospered for Restful Increase. And um, last week we took on the very foundational topic of that series, which is the principle of obedience or prospered by obedience. And we emphasized how important it is to uh, be an obedient person. And we used the life of Abraham, who exemplified obedience. He didn't know where God sent him to, but he just left all the same. What an awesome way to live. And today we are looking at the second component or the second topic in this uh, nine-part series, which is on diligent labor. It is very important that as Christians we understand the significance of laboring. You see, labor has been looked at in many ways. And until believers understand the place of labor and why God put labor in place, why God put work in place, we may be missing out on some of the blessings that are attributed or attributable to labor. And so when we talk about diligent labor as Christians, we are talking about a process of engaging with God in conscientious and focused work. Conscientious and focused, I dare to say hard work, but with God. It is very important. The diligent labor a believer has is that which puts God first, is that which helps man to work because of the intervention of God. And these series have been carefully given to us by the Holy Spirit. As we start with obedience, we will look at diligent labor. And next week, as we progress in the series, we'll be looking at the concept of divine creativity. Because it is one aspect to understand the place of labor. It is another thing to understand the place of divine creativity as we diligently labor. You see, work was not instituted by God as punishment. Contrary to what many people think, many people take their understanding of work from when God cursed uh, the ground for man's sake. And uh, he said he, man will continue to till it to produce. Many people take work from that basis. And that is not where work started. Work started before man fell. And that's why we must understand that work is godly. Work is not necessarily punishment. Now, there is an aspect of punishment related to work that is sin or work done in sin that has no benefit, no blessing because it is done in sin. There is that aspect. But we're talking about the work that God instituted so that believers and people that he created can engage with him in such a way that they can be productive. And this is very important. I want to start from Genesis chapter 2, from verse 8. The Bible says, Then the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put man. There he put man whom he had formed. And verse 9 says, And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Who made it grow? The Lord God. The Lord God. God is the one that makes things happen. And if one is to engage with work, with this understanding, your work pattern, your work nature, your work commitment, your work ethics will completely change. When you realize that you are not the grower of the garden, you are not the grower of the plant, you are not the, the producer of the fruit, but God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Of course, the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I want us to go straight to verse 15. 
The Bible says, then the Lord God, verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Somebody said to work it. He put him there to work it. Now, the garden produces itself by God's hand, but there is an element that God introduced there in putting man in that garden to work it, to tend it, to make sure that that garden continues to produce in the context that, by which God has desired for man to engage. So work is our God-given opportunity to express our capabilities, to express what we can do. Work is not a punishment. When God put that man in the garden, he said, tend it and keep it. That is to say, I want to see what you can do with it. I am the grower of the garden. I am the owner of the garden. I put you there, but I want to see what you can do with it. Every kind of work that God has given us to do in our context today, be it the work of the ministry and the vocational things that we do to help humanity, we must understand that what God is doing is giving us an opportunity to express our capabilities. So when you wake up and you are going to work, see it as another opportunity given by God for you to go and demonstrate to your world again that there is something you are carrying that the world can benefit from. There is something that you can offer to humanity that will add value. When you see work this way, work no longer becomes a chore. Work no longer becomes that thing you do just to earn an income. You see, everything you do just to earn money will never ever satisfy you. Never. Never. No matter how much you are earning from it. Believe me. You will only think it only if you earn more. If you earn more. Take it from me. Take it from me. You will never ever find satisfaction in anything you do just for the sake of money. But when you engage with work for the sake of adding value, no matter what income it is, there is a level of fulfillment that comes and it makes you more productive. And then God continues to empower you the more because that is his intention for creating work. I do not like to see believers who engage with work flippantly who behave like the rest of the world and just do their work shabbily. It is not of God. God expects believers to set the pace to be hardworking, diligent people. Now, I want to say that with a bit of a caveat because work with God, as I said, is diligent labor and it exists in the midst of two extremes. There is an extreme where people don't work at all. Laziness. And sadly, there are believers who are found in that realm. There are believers who believe they can just pray and be slothful and lazy. And because they are called children of God, they should be blessed. That is not of God. That is foolishness. And there is another extreme whereby believers forget about God. They move away from that center where God is and forget about God and just carry on in their own power and in their own strength. And again, that is foolishness. So we must understand that there is a balance whereby we're not lazy, but we're not working so hard and working without God. Because when we say diligence is hard labor or working conscientiously with God in hard labor, we must understand that it does not mean that we neglect God. As a matter of fact, God wants us, God's desire is that we work diligently with every opportunity he gives to us, engaging him in understanding what his will is. And what his purpose is. Because when we work like that, there are rewards attributable to that kind of labor. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. We're going to be reading the Bible a lot today, as is our custom in this church. Uh, we have not much to say outside what the Word of God says. So if you are just understanding how our messages are, you need to just understand. What we stay on is the Word of God, and we just expatiate as much as God helps us. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. It says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your mind. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. The Bible says only the living shall praise the Lord. Jesus said in John chapter 9 verse 4, don't turn to it, but remember, he said that I must walk the walk of him who sent me while it is day. For night comes when no man can walk. Every day, everybody moves closer to the grave. I know we don't like to say this or to hear this because everybody, some people are afraid of the grave. Everybody, everybody, even the child born yesterday by today has moved one day closer to the grave. Everybody. In time, we move closer to the grave. So whilst we are moving closer to the grave, we must keep doing whatever our hands finds to do diligently with all our might. If you want God to bless you and God to prosper you, I'm talking much more today about physical prosperity. Physical prosperity. I've defined prosperity, as you all know, that it is having sufficiency in all things so that you can abound in every good work. You know, so we understand that it's spirit, soul, and body. But I want to emphasize today on particularly physical, material, monetary prosperity. It's very important because at times believers are afraid of it. We should not be afraid of it. It's given by God so that we can advance his kingdom ultimately. He said there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where we're going. So we must work while it is day. We must work while we're productive. I don't know what young people do these days, wasting their time on things that are unimportant. Many people engage with, 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 with games and activities that are not necessarily done to enhance productivity, but just to relax. Whilst it is good to relax, it is good to, to enjoy, have fun, we must understand that majority of what we should be doing is engaging with God in diligent work, productive work. Don't waste your time because time waits for no one. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 4. It says, he who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Diligence makes rich. When you are a diligent person, you put yourself in the pathway to continue to have the riches of this world delivered to your hand. Nobody is rewarded just because their face is liked. Everybody is rewarded according to the value that they are adding. Everybody, no matter your anointing, no matter your grace, as you add value, you are added to by God, even financially. You are blessed because you are blessed financially because you are adding value. So every believer must seek to know how to add value. Now, you don't have to do it like everybody else. In your own sphere of life, you must make sure that you are adding value. In that little team that you belong, let it be that they know that when you are not there, there is an impact they feel. That is adding value. That is a value-added person. He who has a slack hand becomes poor. It is a disservice to the Holy Spirit and to the Godhead for believers to be lazy, to be slack, to be people who do not add value. It is a disservice. The Bible says the hand of the diligent makes rich. And I want you to know when it comes to monetary terms and physical money, the laws that apply, apply to both 
the believer and the unbeliever. That is why you can see a person who knows how to engage the principles of adding value very well, whether they know God or they don't know God, making what is called monetary rewards steadily, simply because they are doing what is adding value. Now, I'm not saying that will get them to heaven because I've always made that distinction. According to Mark 8, 36, he said, what shall he profit a man if he gains the whole world? He added so much value, gains everything, but then loses his own soul. So we're not talking about just doing it for the sake of it, but I'm telling you that as believers, we must understand that when we seek to add value, we help ourselves to benefit of the things, to take, make benefit of the things that God has provided for those who call upon his name. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4, it says, The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing. A lazy man is the one who just sits down and prays and prays and prays and talks in tongues and does things that look spiritual, but he's lazy, lazy, sleeps too much, eats too much, in discipline with time, goes late to work, never serious with his business. You go to his shop, he's not there. You don't know when he's there, you don't know when he will not be there. That's a lazy man. He desires, but he will not have anything. He can't go anywhere like that. But the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Every one of us must seek to be diligent because part of what the Holy Spirit imparts to us is the grace to be diligent. Go through the entire scriptures. Those who made a pathway with God were very diligent people. We're going to study the life of, of Isaac today, but you see, take any one of them, whether even his father Abraham, his, his, his own son, Jacob. These guys were diligent people. Is it David? David was a hard worker. He was a fighter. He was a writer. He was a singer. He was a prophet. He was ev almost everything that you can think of in, in being a productive human being of his time. He was a shepherd. He was a businessman. He was a very hard worker. Every day I pray for the grace upon the life of that man. Because there is something unique about people who are diligent, people who are ready to work hard. Not because they are just hard working for the sake of working hard like everybody else, but people who have the God sense to understand that being godly and being diligent is the way to making sincere and genuine wealth that God desires for his children. The soul of the diligent will be made rich, the Bible says. I want this message today to stir something in your heart. That whatever you have found and understood about diligence before now, you will take it to the next level. Hallelujah. I say you will take it to the next level. In the mighty name of Jesus. Every one of us must understand this. It costs God nothing to do anything in the life of anybody. But God is always looking for the diligent. Many people have given up their ministries today because of laziness. If you are lazy, you can't do ministry. People think, when I laugh at people when they say, oh, the guy didn't find anything to do, so he became a pastor. Ah, he took the wrong job. <laughs> that is the point he made the, the worst decision of his life. A lazy man. <laughs> you, you can't be, you can't, you can't be lazy. You can't, you can't be lazy. You can't, it's not for lazy people. Any aspect of ministry, you want, to, you want to sing, you want to serve, you want to, to help the production team, you want to, it's work. It's work. We have a generation that wants much for doing little. I know we pray, you know it's my prayer, minimum effort, maximum output. It's my prayer because I believe that yes, you can have multiple outputs, but you see what I mean by minimum effort is a lot of hard work. <laughs> it's not minimum as in you don't do anything. No, that was a wrong understanding of the prayer. It means you have worked hard, but the output you see 
is 10 times what that your hard work would have given you. That's what I mean. Hallelujah. May God take us there. I say, may God take us there in the name of Jesus. Very quickly, I want to show you some things. Pastor Moses, those of you that have joined the service earlier on, uh, Pastor Moses read for, for us uh, our Bible reading today from Genesis chapter 26, from verse 12 to verse 25. I would ask you to read the whole of Genesis chapter 26, which gives us a very good snapshot of this story that we're going to go through verse by verse almost today, and just learn some principles. What we did last week is to learn some principles from the life of Abraham. This week, we'll learn some principles from the life of Isaac. And next week, we'll learn some principles from the life of Jacob. And like that, throughout this series, we'll be seeing how God helps us. I mean, like I always say with this series, is whatever God wants us to focus on. If we go back to Abraham again, we can learn a different set of principles for something else. But for today, we want to focus on learning on the life of Isaac. Genesis chapter 26. We didn't read for the first six verses, but I want to quickly read there the first principle. The first principle. Genesis 26 from verse 1 to 6. It said, there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines in Gerar. Verse 2. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Does that sound a bit like Abraham again? Instructions. Somebody say divine instructions. I want us to start from that principle. Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Verse 3. He said, dwell in this land and I will be with you. Because God commits himself to his instructions. He said, and I will be with you and bless you, for to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. Hallelujah. Verse 4, and I will make your descendants multiply like the stars of heaven. He said, and I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Hallelujah. Verse 5. Verse 5. Which takes us to what we read about Abraham last week. Because Abraham obeyed my voice. This obedience that Abraham displayed so touched God that God did not just bless Abraham in his lifetime. He came to his son Isaac again and said, because he obeyed my voice. So we cannot overemphasize the place of obedience. But the first thing I want to say here is the fact that we must understand that we have to operate by divine instruction. That's number one principle. Isaac operated by divine instructions. Now, when I talk about operating by divine instructions, many people immediately think in a very spooky way, expecting that there must be people who God comes to in the middle of the night and he says, my son, my son, this is what you will do from tomorrow. You know, and people think that way all the time. Now, I'm not saying God can't do that, but he doesn't have to. In fact, he hardly does that these days. All he does is the principle of inner witness. Somebody say inner witness. He walks from your within. The Bible says the spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. Romans chapter 8 verse 16. He bears witness from verse 14 to verse 16. He bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. 
Isaac operated by divine instructions. And when we do this, it helps us to overcome natural constraints. I want every one of us to understand this. When we operate by divine instruction, the Bible says there was a famine in the land. That was a natural constraint. There is pandemic in the land today. That is a natural constraint. Economies are suffering today. That is a natural constraint. Many hardships across the land and across our world today. That is a natural constraint. We can't travel the way we used to travel. That is a natural constraint. So many things. The word farming doesn't just mean that rain is not falling and crops are not growing, which it meant literally in that day and age. But in our context today, it means everything that would normally make it difficult. The Bible says there was one of such in the land. It was not the first one that the father experienced, but this one was there. So we as a people must operate by divine instructions so that this way we can continue to defeat natural constraints. We can continue to overcome wrong choices. Go to verse 2. Isaac, Isaac, the Bible says in verse 2, I'll put that here now. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt, live in the land. The natural choice was to go to Egypt. Egypt was flourishing, definitely. There was no famine there. He would have moved naturally. And this is what I want us to understand when we talk about divine instructions. Believers must know the difference between those who are gambling with their lives and those of us moving as children of God. People who gamble with their lives always seek to go the way that looks lush. Remember Lot in Genesis 13? Lot went to the plain that he saw that looked okay, Sodom. But that was not where God was. In fact, that was the place that God was completely absent because of the kind of things they were doing there. But it looked okay. And this is what people, many people don't understand. Many people have taken on jobs or taken on businesses and, and just jumped onto things. Even taking on ministry assignments that looked okay. It's not good enough to go into something that looks okay. It's good to start with knowing what God wants for you as a person. Many times when God will speak to you, it will be contrary to how your brain is thinking. God may ask you to remain in a job that every fiber of your being is telling you to live, 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 live. And God may ask you to leave a job that every fiber of your being is saying, stay, 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 stay. Every believer must develop this. We must develop the grace to relate with inner witness so that we understand. I have taken some steps in my life. I don't want to go into some of those details today. Some of you who are members of the church will know. I've told you some of these stories. How when everything was looking okay and God said, now you move. And I moved. And every time I look back, when I moved, a lot of times it was done out of just trusting God. Not because I saw completely that that was the right thing to do. But because God said so. And when I look back and I see what God said, I start to see why it was required of me to move at that time. I pray God will help us to operate by divine instructions in the name of Jesus. You see, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 10, 15, don't turn to it, it says the labor of the foolish 
Where is every one of them? What is a foolish man? Psalm 14, 1. Anyone who disregards God. Every action. Now, you are God-fearing, so you are not foolish in that regard. But every action we take with a disregard to God is a foolish action. I didn't call you foolish, but it's a foolish action. <laughs> Anything that says, God, stay aside, I want to do it the way I like, is a foolish action. And we must understand this. Now, there are times God will say move. There are times we will feel that we want to move. But when we take the step, God shows us whether he's in it or not. Unless you don't want to be honest with yourself. So this is a very important principle. If we want to be people who diligently labor productively, we must be people who operate by divine instructions. Number two, we go to verse 12. The Bible says, Then Isaac sowed in the land, where we started to read our Bible studies, and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, for the Lord blessed him. The second principle is that he worked hard in the land he was situated. Wherever God locates you now is your land of tilling, is your land of sowing, is your land of hard work. Many people are always waiting for the next land. They're always waiting for the next job before they take it serious. They're always waiting for the next opportunity. They say, Lord, I know that I am meant to be doing B, C, and D. But this A I'm in now, I know it's a temporary place in my life. So they, they don't engage. Not knowing that the A you are, step A you are engaging in is the door opener to the B, C, and D that you are seeing. The Bible says then Isaac sowed in that land in a land where there was famine, in a land where most people were disenfranchised and confused. He sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Because God was in it. May God continue to bless the work of your hands. I say, may God continue to bless the work of your hands in the name of Jesus. You see, what we need to understand is that when we don't labor, we don't give God anything to bless. Jesus could not feed 5,000 until he found five loaves and two fish. If not, he would have just said, make the men sit down. Now, all of you look into your hand. You see, you see something. <laughs> he can say so. But he said, can you give me something? Give me something. I need something. I need something. I need something. I need something. And they brought him a little boy's meal. I said, that is good. He lifted it up. What is the work you are presenting before God today? He needs it. Because when you present it to him, you give him an opportunity to bless you in the land. Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year, not by his own strength, but because God helped him to reap a hundredfold. For the Lord blessed him. The Lord blessed him. He said, we have no wine. He said, bring me water. Bring me water. Fill it. Fill the water pots with water. He could just say, go and serve the thing. Does that pronouncement can make it happen. But to show a principle that there is a partnership, that God is always willing to engage with man. He said, give me things. If Isaac stayed there and said, I'm blessed. My hands are blessed. With the blessing of God. And he never put anything in the ground. God would just be looking at him. But the Bible says, then Isaac sowed. Isaac labored in the land. He sowed, he labored, and God blessed him. Never let anything stop you from sowing in your own land. Keep working that job. Keep working that business. Keep working that ministry. It may not look it today, but keep working it. Keep working it because every work you, you give is an opportunity for God to bless. Everything you present before him is an opportunity to be blessed. 
The Bible says in verse 13, and the man began to prosper and continued prospering. One of my favorite scriptures here, when I read it, I say, this Bible is very interesting. When you read a verse like this, I don't know about you. I just enjoy it. Look at that. The man began to prosper and continued prospering <laughs> until he became very prosperous. So however you want to read it, it was clear that that man was exceedingly blessed. Exceedingly blessed. That emphasis of verse 13 is to show you that when God touches that thing, it brings a testimony that is unusual. How can a man begin to prosper and continue prospering until he became very prosperous just because he sowed in the land that God said he should be? You and I must think about it. God wants us to diligently engage with him. He said, for he had possessions, just to describe the, the realms of his, his physical prosperity, verse 14. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and of great numbers of servants. So the Philistines envied him. So the Philistines envied him. I want to quickly talk about that. When you are prospering by God, you will attract envy. You see, envy is from people who are lazy, who would wish they had what you have, but cannot get it. And instead of humbling themselves to learn from you and make friends with you and, and just associate with you so that whatever it is God is teaching them, you can also rub it off on them, they sit and envy you. May God not make us an envious people. In the name of Jesus. The Bible says, so the Philistines envied him. Now listen. The Philistines who are envying him, they, they have been in that land even before he came there. Before he was born, many of them were there already. All he did was to sow in that land. They refused to sow. They refused to do the things that would make the land produce. They were looking at famine. When the child of God came there and he began to manifest, they envied him. And I want to say this very well and very carefully. Particularly to those of us who are... Uh, uh, immigrants within our communities who are immigrants into, say, a country like, like uh, the United Kingdom or wherever we find ourselves as immigrants. You see, there is a tendency for you to work harder, naturally. There's a tendency for you to work harder than most of the natives and the people you met in the land. And that tendency in itself, naturally, without even God itself, just the natural effort has a tendency to give you things that may attract envy. Not to talk of when God is now helping you and giving you steps ahead. You came into a country like this, within three years, two years, you bought a house. When people have been there 10 years working and they've been trying to save up to buy a house, you will be envied and they will not like you. <laughs> they will not like you. Now, I'm not trying to be racist or anything. I'm just trying to make us contextualize this. This man went there, helped by God. The Philistines who owned the land started to envy him. They felt, who is this guy? Look at verse 15. The Bible says the Philistines had stopped. They, they stopped up all the wells which his father's Abraham had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And they filled them with earth. So they never expected anything to be out of the lineage of Abraham again. How can this guy, who is the son of the same man they tried to, to stop his possessions and blessings, now come and be prospering? In fact, verse 16, the king of the land came and said to him, verse 16, the Bible says, and Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Many of us must understand this, that envy will be generated because God is blessing you. Whatever, sadly, even today, some pastors envy other pastors. Sadly, sadly. Why, I don't know. 
If God helps you to be on your assignment and you are doing what God calls you to do, whether you are a pastor, you are a businessman, or you are anybody, you will have no reason to envy anybody. You will be grateful to God for whatever he's doing in your life and be thankful and you will have all the energy that you are using to envy somebody else will be channeled into making your own assignment productive. You have no reason to be envy. No person, no believer especially, has any reason whatsoever to be envious of another person. We need to know how to face our duties. But as believers, we must know, we may not envy others, but you will be envied. Every believer in the workplace, I was saying this to a colleague recently, and I've said it to many colleagues who are believers, and I say it to my family, I say it to as many people, especially those that we get to talk about work life. Every believer must understand that you are crossing two hurdles every time in your work and in your business. The two hurdles are these. There is one hurdle everybody has to cross, what the world calls the rat race, in quote. That thing that happens in the workplace that everybody has to just survive because that's what keeps you in work. You have to do your work. And, you know, there'll be things that people do, pull strings here, push that one for that position, try this one, scheme behind this. All those things happen. And you have to survive it as well. That is one thing. But you see, the second one that others don't suffer that you are suffering is the one that is orchestrated by principalities and powers and rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. Those ones, they're not looking for all the other people. They're looking for you. They're looking for you. The Bible, Paul said, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against those things we wrestle. But Jesus said we should be of good cheer that he has overcome. I say he has overcome in the name of Jesus. So when we are working hard, and we are seeing envy, and we are seeing people who just want to stop us, we should not be surprised. What we should do is to know how, like Isaac, use the steps of hard work, diligence, to continue to engage with God so that we can be unstoppable. You see, I was born in northern Nigeria, in Kano City particularly, and this thing gave me an idea even before moving, and then, and then as a 10-year-old, I was taken to America to live for about two years. I was the only black child in a school of 300 children. So I've always understood world from the perspective of a minority. In northern Nigeria, most of the people I grew up with, all around us were Muslims from a different culture. And the only time we found people like us was when we went to church and we served in church. The moment we got out, and of course, our school was kind of mixed with all kinds of children from everywhere. But the moment we were in town, in the marketplaces, in the shops, and everywhere else, you, you always felt that sense of minority. Now, this is one country, one color of skin. I wanted to say one language, and I quickly stopped. <laughs> it's not one language at all. We all speak English, but then let's not talk about the other languages. <laughs> Hallelujah. But one color of skin. One color of skin, because many people think when you feel minority is only when you are a different color of skin. You can have the same color of skin and feel more minority than even when there are differences in color of skin. <laughs> like when I go to China, and I used to say that I, I turn to an instant celebrity because every time I've been, I've been to China only twice, but as I'm walking, everybody's looking at me and everybody wants to take picture with me. So the first time I was a bit embarrassed. I said, what's happening here? Then I discovered that where I was going, many of them have never seen a black-skinned person except on TV. So when they see one, they stop their whole family. It's like, look at him! <laughs> so the first time I was a bit, I was, you know, I didn't know. But the second time, I was just posing for every photograph <laughs> and enjoying myself. <laughs> the celebrities in town. Hallelujah. 
But you know something? Even in that, our local context back in Nigeria, I felt like a minority the first 10 years of my life to a large extent. And I understood. And I saw how people who were indigenous of the land were hating parents of those of, like people like me, who, whose parents came from other parts of the country and were working hard. Were living, if you see the house we were living then, we were living in a three-bedroom house with a large compound, two cars and things like that. And a lot of people of the land did not have such things. So they were envying us a lot. Any opportunity to have a riot, they killed us. They killed people from our communities. Sadly, it's still happening in some cases now. And then I went to U.S., and then I found the same thing there. I was the only black kid. And then I started to find that once you are different and God is with you, people will envy you, and you may be misunderstood very well. You have to build tenacity. A lot of people have left their jobs. They have got frustrated in business. They have left their place of calling. They have left ministry because they have been made to feel minority. Never, ever, the Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? We, the people of the world say one with God is majority. It's very true. It's not scripture, but it's very true. When you are with God, you are, you are the majority. So I want to use this to encourage you. Because it can happen to anybody. You may be an English person and you, you are called to go and work in, in the United Arab Emirates or in Nigeria or South Africa and find yourself in a place. Uh, you are white and you find yourself in a place. Everybody else. I took some of my white colleagues to go and work in Nigeria in 2011. We went to do a project and we got to a place and everybody was almost embarrassing one of my colleagues because they, 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 the place was very rural and just like it happened to me in China, they've never seen such a person. So they were coming to him and he was afraid. And I said, don't worry. Don't worry, everything will be fine. <laughs> Hallelujah. Whatever you do, don't let anyone intimidate you, whether they are envious or not. Keep doing what God has called you to do. Number three point. This one is very important. He avoided strife. They were envious of him. They stopped the wells. He avoided strife. Don't allow strife to thrive near you. Don't. It was Peter J. Daniels that said, ruthless logic is a sign of a limited mind. When you are ruthless, and you have to be ruthless, then it means your mind is limited. Strive always seeks to distract you, dissuade you, and if possible, to disempower you. Strife is what people try to engage with you in the workplace, in the business world, and aspects of ministry, to try to make you dissuaded, to try to make you give up, to try to push you away, to try to discomfit you, to try to make sure that you are disempowered. Don't allow it. Remember Abraham in Genesis 13, the servants of Abraham and the servants of Lot began to strive. Abraham said, no, 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 we don't do this. My paraphrase, we don't do this. You find anywhere you want to go. Look at all the land. There's so much land. We don't do this. You go where you want to go, I go the other side. That's a man who has understanding of covenant. When Isaac came on board, Abraham's father, son, he took on the same attitude. Verse 17. The Bible says he departed from there when they sent him away and pitched his tent in the valley of Jerah and dwelt there. You see, when they pushed him from the highland to the valley, they didn't know they were pushing him closer to water. <laughs> they didn't know they were pushing him closer to water. My little knowledge of hydrology tells me that groundwater resources are found quicker in valleys in the lowlands than on highlands because just natural terrain, water gathers like in a bowl in a valley, so they sink in the, in the valleys much more. So if you, put, if you put a well in a valley, you are likely to hit water faster 
than when you put it on a highland in a mountain. But you see, when they were driving him away, they didn't know they were driving him towards that point. So in verse 18, the Bible says, and so he dug again. I like that word. The words they had stopped, the things they had told that, that, had, that many people will reach and say it's impossible, the things that look like disadvantage, Isaac refused. Diligent laborer he was. He dug again. He dug again. The wells of water which had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father. Because the well structure is there. It's just one daft person came and put sand to fill it up. So it's easier. <laughs> he dug again in the days of that well, which had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. And he now began to call them by names which the father has called them. Verse 19, and Isaac's servants also dug in the valley, and they found a well of running water there. The place where they pushed them to, thinking that, you know, you have become so mighty, let us disempower him. A lot of times, many people who are skimming in the workplace and pushing you and doing all the trickery and thinking that they are trying to malign you, they don't know that they are pushing you to your own valley of water. Hallelujah. Be like Isaac. Don't strive. That doesn't mean you don't fight for what is yours. That doesn't mean you just remain like that and let anybody trample over you. That's not what I'm talking about. But don't engage in this physical combat that people engage in just to try to prove a point. You don't need to prove a point to anybody. Let God prove the point for you. The Bible says, but the herdsmen, verse 19, verse 20, but the herdsmen of Jerah quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, the water is ours. Ah, which water? <laughs> which water? The well has been there. You stopped it. And then now you are saying, I open it up and you come and say, you see, that is just somebody looking for trouble. Isaac could have said, you guys must be out of your mind. This well had been stopped for years. You didn't come and use water here. Now I have reopened it. What do you mean? This is mine. This is mine. This is mine. He had a right to say so. But look at what a man of covenant, a man who understood, said. The Bible says they came and said, this water is ours. So he called the name of the place Essek. He said, because they quarreled with me. They quarreled with him. So he called it Essek. And in verse 21, the Bible says that then they dug another well and they quarreled over that as well. And he called it Sitna. That Sitna means double quarrel by my own definition. <laughs> it means they quarreled again. <laughs> so Sitna, he said, okay, this one is Sitna. And he moved on. Hallelujah. They called it Sitna. We must understand this. Don't allow strife to thrive around you. Anytime you sense that there is strife, where you work, in the place you engage in business and the things you do, even in the work of the ministry, don't allow strife to thrive. Anytime you see strife coming, you quickly quell it and settle, like Abraham did, like Isaac did. When you are moving from Essek to Sitna, you are not a weakling. Your movement from Essek to Sitna is a regard for the God you serve. It's an understanding of covenant. It's an understanding that there are forces fighting for you that are mightier. You see, what the Philistines did not understand is that the covenant with Isaac's father was heavy. It was bound to be that he would prosper. So you, you move him from Essek, you move him from Sitna, makes no difference. But that, they can't understand that. 
And on top of that, the man was a very, very hardworking man. So when a man is blessed by God and is hardworking, he's unstoppable. He's unstoppable. The Bible says that they, they, they quarreled over that one also, so he called it Sitna. I want us all to learn this principle. Because people see your success, but they don't know your history. People only see what you are producing today and manifesting today. They don't know what you've been through. They don't know. They don't know. They open their mouth and talk things because they can only see what you are doing today. They don't know how deep that Isaac had. They don't know that there was a time Isaac put you on the altar. Uh, Abraham put you on the altar to sacrifice you to God. They don't know that you and your father have been through such things. Such deep, deep commitment to God that had made God committed to your cause that no matter what, you can't fail. They don't know. They only see you digging the wells today. They only see you digging the wells and waters are coming out. They don't know that you have sowed in that land. They don't know. I just told you a bit of my history. How I grew up as a child in Kano. How, I, how, how for the first two months in America, I felt like going back home. I'd never been in such a situation in my life. I was the last born, so I, I always enjoyed I always thought everybody should love me because that's how I grew up. <laughs> everybody likes the like, last born. When I got to U.S. and people were laughing at me, I, as a 10-year-old, it was heavy. I went back to that school last year. I looked at it. I said, you did school. <laughs> By the grace of God, in Greeley, Colorado. I'll be on the school bus. People don't want to sit next to me. The seat in front of me is empty. The seat behind me is empty. The three-seater I'm sat on, I'm the only one there. And children will cramp themselves all around. So I put my violin in the front and put my bag in the, in the back seat and then I spread my hand like that in the center. <laughs> when I started to understand that it doesn't matter. But before that time, I'll go home and cry. And I'll say to my father, who was doing his PhD then, I'll say to him, this was 1979, 78 rather, early, early September, late, uh, late September, early October, 1978. And my, my, my father would say, son, do you want to go back home? Because I'm here to study. And I said, Lord, help me in my own little way. And God started to help me there. But I didn't know that those were preparation days. I didn't know that God was setting me up for being able to survive in places where it may seem to be harsh. It, you may seem to be rejected. You may seem to be odd one out. You may have people talking behind you. You may have all those. So all those things don't mean anything to me today. But you see, many people don't know. They just think that you, you just appeared like that. Or as a 15-year-old, 16-year-old in university, when I had to go and hold my own elder brother who was, who was having a lot of mental challenges on campus. I was only 16. God prepares you for your Rehoboth. They will keep pushing you, but they don't understand that when you get to your Rehoboth, you will come to the place that is called room enough. Hallelujah. I say you will get to your room enough in Jesus' name. Don't strive with people. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth which righteousness is. And verse 14 says, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found. Be diligent to be found. Be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot or blameless. Let us do everything we can. Even in church life, the enemy seeks to bring strife. I have found that strife doesn't only start when people are showing boisterous tendencies and trying to sort of pick a fight, per se. 
There are many, many sources and channels of strife now if you are not careful. The silent treatment. The brother you call, the sister you call, and they're refusing to take your call. The one that see you out in the supermarket and you've noticed that they've seen you and you are just trying to get a, a clearer view so that you can go see them, then you see that they've taken the next aisle. Those things can bring strife. Those things are devices of the enemy to make you dissuaded and disempowered. Don't fall for it. I love people. God is my witness. I love and desire to see God's people in every way, but I refuse to be manipulated. I refuse. God taught me that 10, 40 years ago when I was only a 10-year-old, 11-year-old. God taught me that. You don't, re, you don't allow people to manipulate you if you're on a mission. Isaac was going to be manipulated by the people. He dug a well. They moved him. They dug a well. They, they stopped. They moved him. And he refused. He refused. Everyone must keep, reviewing, keep loving but keep refusing the manipulation of people. Many pastors have hung their boot because of this. They are made to feel that they are inadequate. They are made to feel that they are uncalled, even when they are. It's a device of the devil. Many business owners have stopped their business because everybody told them that their product was rubbish. Many people have been told that they can't make it in a particular profession and they've, they've, they've hung their stethoscopes, they've, they've hung their tape measures, they've hung their, their computers, they've hung whatever it is they use in that profession because People told them that they can't make it. They are pushing you. You keep digging with God. Keep digging with God. And very soon you will land in your own Rehoboth in Jesus' name. This is why number four principle is that he labored until he got undeniable proofs. Keep laboring until you get undeniable proofs. <laughs> Verse 22. And he moved from there and dug another well. He moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. Ah. Essek quarrel, Sitna quarrel. <laughs> when he got to the third one, they did not quarrel anymore. Because there is a place you get to, people give up on you. You see, the moment you are worried that people are talking about you in a particular way today, and you let them stop you, you are the one that is losing out. Because as long as you keep going, they are talking, they say, don't mind him, he's arrogant, he's this, she's that, she's this. You keep going. You keep going. A time will come, they say, leave him alone. <laughs> That's what happened to this man. They did not quarrel again. They gave up. They, the Bible says, so he called the name Rehoboth, for he said, for, the now, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. We have now undeniable proofs. This is why I say to people who feel marginalized every time, don't keep thinking, oh, I'm being marginalized, I'm being cheated. Stay with God, keep pushing. When your results are showing, they keep quiet. Because a great servant of God that says that only a fool denies the evidence of proofs. Only a fool, very foolish person. Proverbs 22, verse 29 says, Do you see a man who is excelling in his work, who is diligent in his work? He will stand up before kings. He will not stand before mean men. Do you see him? He will stand before kings, not before mean men. Keep excelling in your work. I've told you Joseph's story many times. When his brothers sold him into slavery, they didn't know they were selling him closer and closer to the throne. When Potiphar's wife lied against him, Joseph could have stood there and said, get me a lawyer. I need a lawyer. Somebody has to defend me. This is sheer robbery. I am being cheated here. This is not a truth. It is a fallacy. Many times I've been lying against like that. 
I hear from people that somebody said this, somebody said that. And you'll be like, is, are they talking about me? <laughs> or is it somebody else they're talking about? But you see, the truth is that that is how they lied against Joseph. But that lie was what was going to connect him to the last step of getting to the throne. By the time he reached the prison and the butler and the baker were there, it was just a matter of time. But Madame Potiphar had to tell that lie. And Joseph had to temporarily suffer the shame, being called a rapist or whatever it is they would have called him, being called all kinds of names. Imagine him entering prison. They say, you, you are not even afraid. You want to do <laughs> And the man is saying, I don't know what you're talking about. I say, keep going. You see, see his face. See his face. <laughs> but they didn't know that they are pushing him to his real birth. If you see a man diligent in his business, refusing strife, continuing to labor, Abraham, uh, Joseph continued to labor. In the prison, he was cheerful. He started to tell people their dreams. And that was how God opened the door for him. God will keep opening doors for you. He will keep opening doors for you in the name of Jesus. Finally, verse 23, verse 23 to verse 25. Isaac was a man of the altar. Verse 23, verse 23. The Bible says, then he went up to Beersheba, and there the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God, I am the God. Verse 24 now. I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. After Esek, Sidna, Rehoboth. And the Bible says, verse 25, wherever you are, let's read verse 25 together again, as we did during the Bible reading. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Can you see? Thank you very much, those of you online. God bless you. Can you see? how God helped Isaac, and the first thing he did was to build an altar. Keep building an altar in your business. Keep building an altar in your workplace. You are not being protected by God in that work and being given influence and promotion just because God likes your face. He wants you to be a better influence. Build an altar for him there. Keep shining the light of Jesus there. Keep letting everyone who knows you know that you are God-fearing. I know that we have laws in our land that limit what you can say in terms of your religion and your faith and all that, and that's fine. But there's nothing that stops you from just being an example and allowing. You see, when somebody comes to me and they say, what is the secret? I don't, there's no law again. You are the one who asked me the question. <laughs> you are the one that came to me by yourself. I say, ah, David, what is your secret? Ah, if I start to tell you about Jesus, if you say I preach to you, I say, I sat where I sat. You came to me and said, what is the secret? And I'm telling you the secret. <laughs> so there are ways, there are ways that God can help us keep shining the light. The Bible says, so he built an altar there. We don't have time today. If you read from verse 26 and you go right down to verse 33, you will see that they, again, Abimelech came back to him to beg him. A man of the altar is unstoppable. When you are at the place of the altar, like we said last week, a place of prayer, praise, worship, when you are at that place where you are always thanking God and serving God and loving God and using every advancement he's given to you to advance his cause, you continue to attract his favor. 
And may God continue to help us in Jesus' name. I want to close by saying, do not grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary. Galatians 6, 9 tells us, let us not get weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. How many people have fainted in the place God has said, just a little bit more. Keep going, just a little bit more. They fainted, they gave it up. Many people have fainted. Many people have fainted in their marriages. Many people have fainted in their their private lives. Many people have fainted in their business. Many people have fainted in their workplace because they are doing well. Many people have fainted in church life. As long as it is good, don't grow weary. Keep doing it. Keep doing it because there is a law in place. If you read from verse 6, we don't have time. If you read from verse 6, say whatever a man sows, he reaps. There is a law that says you will definitely reap. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, my last scripture today. He said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Always abound. Many people have given up their calling. Whatever you do, However God calls you to serve him vocationally, know that the reason God is giving you a voice in the academic world, in the professional world, in the sports world, in the media world, in the arts and culture, whatever it is, in healthcare and all those places, medicals, engineering, manufacturing, anywhere God calls you to serve, know that God is giving you a field there to shine the light. Keep doing the work. The devil doesn't want you there. He doesn't want you succeeding there. But you are there planted by God. The same way Isaac was planted in Jera by God. That he was unstoppable. That is how God will make you unstoppable. I say that is how God will make you unstoppable. In the name of Jesus. Never look at people and give up on your vision. Never look at people and give up on your dream. Never respond to the, the, the things that people are throwing at you so that you can be tired and dissuaded and be made to feel incompetent. Now, I'm not saying just do your work anyhow and say, oh, they're calling me incompetent. Do your best. Study. Work hard. In fact, work harder than others so that you can be excellent at what you do. The Bible says they wanted to catch Daniel. They wanted to find something against Daniel. But they could not fault his work. Only the law of his God. They said, if you talk about not, if, this is my paraphrase. If you say, get everybody who doesn't do work well, you can't catch this man. The Bible says he was excellent. But they say, you know something? If we say people should stop praying, we will catch him. And true, true. That was the only law they could use. But at the end, you see how that law, God used it, and it all turned everything around. And then the king came back and said, now everybody serve the God of Daniel. (laughs) Let's, Let's stand to our feet or just lift up our hands wherever we are. Because God is about to do something new. In the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we thank you.